At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning, we're going to be continuing a sermon series that we began a couple of weeks ago based out of Matthew chapters 21 through 23 called Authentic. And in this series, we're seeing how when Jesus came to Jerusalem for the last week of his earthly life, he confronted an inauthentic kind of faith, an imitation, a counterfeit kind of religious experience that was being exhibited by the Pharisees and the scribes and others in the capital city. Jesus comes in and he rejects that through the cleansing of the temple, and he rejects that in his conversations with a number of people that he encountered there. And and we've seen in the midst of this that, that you and I cannot hide in an inauthentic expression of religion either, and that you and I need to hide ourselves, not in our religion or our church attendance, but we need to hide ourselves in Christ. And we've seen that encouragement over the last couple of Sundays in an authentic expression of faith. This morning, we're going to continue that series by looking at Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, as Jesus continues this dialogue uh, with those in this last week of his earthly life. But before we do that, I want to just uh, remind everybody of a cultural phenomenon that happens every February in our nation, and that is the Academy Awards happen, the Oscars. Now, in the Oscars, there are a number of awards that are provided for those in the film industry, but two of the chief awards every year are the award for Best Actor and the award for Best Actress. And you see on the screen behind me, uh, the, the 10 individuals that have won that award in the last five years, Best Actor and Best Actress. Now, they played a variety of roles, a number of different parts. They all were in different movies. But here's something that each of those people have in common. None of them played themselves in that movie. Do you realize that? I mean, Frances McDormand is not from Ebbing, Missouri, Right? And, and uh, Olivia Coleman is not Queen Anne, not, not the real one. And Gary Oldman is, is, is not Winston Churchill. And Eddie Redmayne is not Stephen Hawking. They, they all played a character that was not themselves. And as a matter of fact, the greater the departure from who they really were and the character they played, the more celebrated their acting is. They win awards and get statues. The greater the gap between who they are and the role that they play. That's the way it is in Hollywood. That's the way it is with the Oscars. But what's interesting is that's not the way we really grade life, is it? I mean, if you had the choice to be married to an actor or someone who was authentic, which would you choose? If you had the choice to have a good friend that was acting out some kind of a part or was authentic in their friendship and care and love for you, which would you choose? Uh, You would choose the authentic over the actor every time, right? And friends, the same thing is true of our Heavenly Father. When it comes to the God of the universe, he wants not just people who are acting the part of religion, He wants people with an authentic relationship with him. And when Jesus came to Jerusalem for that last week of his life, he saw a lot of acting. And he confronted it while inviting all who heard his voice 
into an authentic relationship with him. This morning, friends, we're going to look at Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, 12 verses that really help us understand even more what was going on with the actors of religious expression in the first century and some application that we might draw from that for our lives. So I want to begin by reading for us Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, and then after I read those verses, we'll back up and see a couple of things about them. Now, I want to first of all set the context. Again, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. He has begun to confront the the inauthentic, the counterfeit expression of religion around him, and he gives really his last public address in these verses. He will say other things to his disciples, but this is his last sermon, if you will, he gives in a public setting. And so as Jesus gives this sermon, he's in the temple court area, and there would have been, in the audience, there would have been those who were just in the crowds who were there to celebrate the Passover. There would have been, his disciples certainly would have been with him and within earshot of this message, and even on the outside of the crowds, the Pharisees and the scribes themselves. So Matthew 23 begins and says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, friends, in these 12 verses today, we're going to see a comparison between the actors and the authentics. And hopefully, as we look at this comparison, we might be challenged and both encouraged by what Jesus says and how we might be able to respond to it with an authentic faith today. So let's look at what is said in these verses. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to focus on the actors. And we see that in the first seven verses of this passage. Now, when Jesus is here talking about the actors, he is highlighting, according to verse 1, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, who are the scribes and the Pharisees? These were two distinct groups of people. Uh, overlapping, yes, but distinct groups. The Pharisees were a large religious group of highly conservative people. These were, were folks that their theology really mattered to them. And they, they really cared to know the very letter and minutia of the law. That was the Pharisees. There were about 6,000 of them at the time of Christ. Now, when I heard, saw that statistic this week, uh, doing some research for this morning, that actually surprised me. Does that surprise you? Only 6,000. I mean, it seems like they're far more influential than that. And the reality is they were. They were more influential than that. 
They were the ones who dominated the pulpits, if you will, in Israel at that time. And so their influence was far greater. But there were 6,000 real members of this Pharisee party, those that tried to separate. That's what the word Pharisee means. They were separatists. They, they pulled away from others. They pulled away from the Gentile world. They pulled away from those who practiced a more liberal version of the Jewish religion. And they made themselves experts in their version of what it looked like to practice a godly religion. That was the Pharisees. The scribes were those who, who taught and led in the synagogues. Now, in, in, that, in that day, a number of them, many of them, were Pharisees, but not all Pharisees were scribes. So we're talking about a subset. It'd be like talking about evangelicals and pastors, right? Evangelical, a large group describing those that embrace a certain theological understanding and pastors being a subset of them. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. And as much as we would love to say that this group of scribes and Pharisees we have nothing in common with, the sad reality is at some level we do have a connection with these folks, all of them. And so we're challenged by what Jesus is going to say about the inauthentic expression of religion that they were practicing. So he speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees, and as he does that, he, he begins to describe what these actors were doing. And so I want to highlight three things that these actors were doing in the first century. The first thing that Jesus says is that these actors, they like to write scripts. They like to write scripts. Now, now what I mean by that is that they were interested in adding to the law that had been given by Moses and the Old Testament prophets. They had taken the Old Testament scripture and then they were in the process of adding to that a lot of other things. Jesus says of them in these verses that they were sitting on Moses' seat. And it says they had sat themselves there. In other words, God didn't put them in a position to add to Scripture. God didn't put them in a position to speak authoritatively. But they had seated themselves in a location of prominence throughout the synagogues of the first century. And they were teaching and pushing a brand or a version of religion that Jesus flatly rejected. But they were doing it from Moses' seat. At the front of synagogues, there would often be a stone bench. And from this stone bench, it was kind of Moses' seat, if you will. And that's where the person in authority would come to the front, and they would sit down, not stand. They would, they would sit down, and then they would teach from that location. The scribes and the Pharisees were sitting from this seat, and they were teaching things to God's people that Jesus took issue with. Now, what did he take issue with about it? We see in these verses. Jesus says, Whatever they tell you, go ahead and do those things, but, but don't do what they do. In other words, they're not even taking their own medicine. They're not even following their own prescriptions. They're, they're adding all of these things to the law, but, but those things, are, are, are they're not even doing themselves. And, and I think he, he, we might say it this way, many of them may have been doing those things, but the things that they were prescribing to do were ultimately not helpful to deliver what they promised that they would deliver. Does that make sense? They were telling people, behave in a certain way and you will be righteous. But even if you did those things, and apparently some of the Pharisees were not, but even if you did those things, they wouldn't deliver the righteousness that they promised. 
They were pushing a religion that didn't lead to the kind of transformation that the people needed and that they desired. One example of that would be in the area of lust. Pharisees in the first century would would take passages that talked about not lusting after your neighbor and those kinds of things from the Ten Commandments, and they would add to it a number of other commands to make that something that, that could be lived out in their own strength. And so one of the things that they would do, a branch of the Pharisees and the scribes, is they would say, if you, if you are a man and you're ever in the presence of a woman, close your eyes. Just close your eyes if you're in the presence of a woman. If, if I was to follow that advice right now, I would be have my eyes closed on the stage, right? And I would be stumbling about. This is the, the practice that they would do. Well, well, what happens if you spend your lives with your eyes closed? You bump into things. You fall down. You, you bloody your knees. You, you might break your nose. And because of, of that practice, this brand of the Pharisees were actually called the bruised and the bloodied by their contemporaries. And they did not take that as a criticism. They took that as a badge of honor. I'm so pious that I have scabbed knees and broken noses because I'm so opposed to breaking God's law. But here's the problem. Is it possible to lust with your eyes closed? Yes. They were offering solutions that didn't deliver on what they promised. And so you had these situations happening from the seat of Moses. Jesus, I think because of that, actually speaks with sarcasm here, holy sarcasm. When he says, do what they say, but not what they do. I don't think he wanted them to actually do what they were saying. I think he was just showing the absurdity of it all. There's a disconnect between what they're promising and what it delivers. Their brand of religion is not transforming your soul. And and, and furthermore, their brand of religion is becoming a heavy burden that is being placed on the backs of all of God's people. They keep adding laws and rules, and they're like pieces of timber that are being placed on the back of somebody, and they're just weighing them down and weighing them down. Every time they came to the synagogue, they got another pile of things that they were to do, another way that they were to do them. They're just getting crushed under all of this religious instruction. And Jesus looks at this and says, their their brand of religion is not helping you. It is actually hurting you. Instead of reaching out to help and equip and to come alongside, they're crushing you. Jesus saw that. Now, friends, that whole expression of religion is all that you have in religion without Christ. You realize that? If you have religion without Jesus, what you have are rules and laws and regulations placed upon our backs, crushing us with responsibility that we cannot live out. That's what happens in Jesusless religion. But what a contrast that what Jesus actually does. I want to look for just a second at what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Verses 28 to 30, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who have had all of these commands of the Pharisees placed upon your back, all this religious rhetoric and responsibility that you're being beaten about with. He says, Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was drawing from this agricultural analogy where oxen would be yoked together, and and there would be an oxen that would ultimately do the work, that would carry the load, and a young oxen would be brought alongside and yoked together with it so that it would learn how to walk a straight line while attached to the one who could walk the straight line. And what Jesus was saying was, he says, I'm not coming just to add a few more sticks to your back. I'm not coming to just put another weight upon your shoulders. Jesus said, I am coming to walk a line of righteousness and invite you to come with me. Would you attach yourself to me, Jesus says. Given what Jesus was going to do, is it no wonder that he was so upset with what the Pharisees were doing? Jesus is saying, I am here in front of you, offering to walk the line for you. And you're choosing to listen to this garbage instead? Friends, we have something better than just religion. We have Jesus. We have the opportunity to be connected to him. Anything else is such a lousy substitute. Don't follow another script. And certainly don't write one of your own. Actors write scripts. The second thing that we see, though, is that actors wear costumes. Actors wear costumes. We see this in verse 5. Jesus here talking about what's, what's going on with the Pharisees and the scribes. It says they make their phylacteries broad to be seen by all. Now, we live in a world today like what in the world is a phylactery, right? I mean, I live in, in Norman. You live in Norman. We don't see a lot of phylacteries in Norman. Uh, but people even today uh, will use a phylactery. So what, what are we talking about? Well, I've got a picture here of what one looks like. Let's, let's go back one. There we go. Um, this gentleman right here in this picture is wearing a phylactery. Now, I, I, I put a, a circle over his face. I'm not judging this human being or, or what's going on. I don't know him. I'm just showing you what a phylactery looks like. So a phylactery is a, a little box that would be on the, the frontal lobe of up here and it would have a reference to God's law written about it. And then there was a leather strap that they would tie about their arm. Um, and those things were very literal applications of Deuteronomy 6 and some other places in the Old Testament where God said to keep his law in front of us at all times. Jewish people in the first century and even Jewish people today, if you were to go to a highly orthodox Jewish community, you would see these kinds of expressions, took that not as a, a figurative command to always be thinking through life through the lens of God's truth, but instead took it very literally. We're going to put a box on our head and we're going to put a, a, a leather wrap on our arm. Now, human beings what, being what we are, the scribes and the Pharisees saw those phylacteries as an opportunity for people to think that they were really spiritual. And so they would make that phylactery very prominent in their wardrobe, and they would wear it all the time, and they would, they would walk around so that others would see them coming with their phylactery on their head and their arm bound, and they would say, now there is a godly person. Regardless of what they were doing, regardless if they were actually obeying God's word, they just looked spiritual. They were wearing the clothing. They were wearing the regalia. 
Not only would they wear their, these prominent phylacteries, but they also would have tassels that they would wear on their clothing. And again, uh, the book of Numbers talks about tassels being a reminder of God's law. Um, and even in the first century, Jews would wear tassels. Jesus himself wore tassels on the garments that he wore. But they would use their tassels and they would make them even more prominent. They would lengthen them and they would make them special colors so that people would see them and they would go, now there goes a very spiritual person. Now, friends, here's the thing. Having things on our body that remind us of our God and our relationship to him are are not really the problem, right? It's not tassels on the robe and it's not phylacteries that are the problem. The problem is, if that is all our religion is, is something worn on the outside for others to see, then we are not practicing an authentic faith. Your relationship with with Jesus and my relationship with Jesus has to be more than just skin deep. It has to be more than the t-shirt you got at men's conference or at camp. It must go down into a transformation of our souls. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. But really, in our world today, and when we have the opportunity, I think it's more than just clothing. For us, it's not necessarily phylacteries and tassels or even T-shirts. But I think for us, this expression oftentimes can even play itself out in the social media world. Whereas it's not good enough for us to have a quiet time, we must have a photograph of our quiet time and post it on Instagram. Then others would know how spiritual we are. Or it's not enough to attend church, but we, we need to tag that we were here so that others could see it. Now, now, here's the thing, friends. It is not bad. I'm not saying this. I, I will tag myself at Wildwood, and I will put pictures up. And, and if that's for vain purposes, I, I, I really in, sincerely apologize and, and repent of that. But I don't think the problem is posting to social media, but I think there is a problem if we're posting to social media because we want others to see even more than we want to be right? I, I think about that. For, for me, I, I use the YouVersion Bible app for a one-year Bible reading plan, and, and I, I'm on somewhere in the neighborhood of, of X number of days in a row in this program, and, and I, I, I found out at some point that others can see how many days in a row that I've had in this, in this situation that I've been in the app, and, and there's this subtle pressure. I need to read today, even if it's just words passing before my eyes so that my streak can continue. And I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, oh Lord, forgive me for the stupidity of that idea, right? I mean, things that encourage discipline in me, that's good, but, but my spiritual life is not tied up in consecutive days in the app, regardless of what you might think. Is our relationship with God authentic or is it acting? Are we writing scripts? Are we wearing costumes? A a third thing that was going on here is that actors are are welcoming leading roles. Actors welcome leading roles. Now, we see this, friends, in in verses 6 and 7, where where it talks about some of the, the ways in which the scribes and the Pharisees loved being honored. They loved being called rabbi, because it was a, 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 an expression of honor. They loved being seated at the feast at a very special place because of their role and how spiritual people thought that they were. They, they loved being given a special seat in the synagogue because it was very close to where the law was kept. They thought they would, they would gain something special from that. They, they loved all these accolades coming from other people when they took on these leading roles. But Jesus says it's, it's not about how others 
view you. You you may gain a lot of applause by being sat at certain seats and by having certain reputations. But I'm looking for far more than how many followers you have, how many friends and how many likes and hearts on your post. Jesus says, "I'm, I'm looking for something authentic in your soul. Friends, those are the roles of the actors. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues past the acting of the Pharisees and the scribes, and he speaks now to the disciples and those in the crowd who are leaning in, giving them some encouragement in this moment. What does he he say there? Well, he speaks here, instead of speaking to the actors, he's going to speak to the authentics. And as he speaks to the authentics in verses 8 to 12, we see a couple of things that are characteristics of the authentics. The the first characteristic of the authentics is that they are fellow followers. They are fellow followers. Now, Jesus walks us through in in the several verses here as, as he talks about how Jesus takes the position of prominence in our lives, not us. He says it's not about being called rabbi because there is one ultimate rabbi. It's not about being called father because there's one father in heaven. And it's not about being called instructor because there is one Jesus. In other words, every single one of us, if we're a Christian, there is one who is in charge and it's not us. Isn't that freeing? It's not us, it's him. We get so bent out of shape about title and position. I think Jesus is just looking down going, oh my, oh my. I'm the one who's in charge. Friends, the leader of Wildwood Community Church is not me, and it's not even our elder board. It's Jesus Christ. And that's not, I'm just not saying that because of, of some prideful thing like he's only our. I mean, every church, every legitimate church, Jesus is the head. Not, not us. And yet we argue about position and power and what, what's going on with all that, Right? We know who's in charge, and it's Jesus. Now, this is Jesus, when he says this, is not saying that there can be no leadership roles or there's no opportunities or, or, or things that need to be played out in the real world. He is. I mean, there's instruction in Scripture for who's elders and all those kinds of things. There's, there's stuff in here about that, and so I'm not negating that, and neither was Jesus. But what he was saying was stop being fixated on things that will make us seem better in the eyes of others and instead realize that we have one who we're following and it's Christ. D.A. Carson made this observation about this passage. He says, The risen Christ is as displeased with those in his church who demand unquestioning submission to themselves and their opinions and confuse a reputation for showy piety with godly surrender to his teaching as he ever was with any Pharisee. What a, what, a great, what a great challenge today, right? It's not about the titles that we might bear. Ultimately, it's about following Christ. I think it's interesting that the phrase there about the Father says, do not call anyone on earth your Father. Again, he's not negating that we have biological parents that we respect and revere. I mean, there's a, there's a commandment about that, right? Um, 
But I think what he is saying is that there's a propensity within our world in having a father uh, or a tradition that we follow that we make the gold standard apart from Christ. In the first century, it would have been the father of various traditions in synagogues and rabbis and teachers. And in our day, it might be a tradition or, or something that we follow because it, there was some old theologian in the past that, that we, we love and is ours, whether it's Calvin or Luther or whatever, and we, we find our identity in that person and what they said, and that becomes the gold standard. And we would be in violation of this principle. If it's not somebody who was old and lived a long time ago or somebody that lived today, whether it's MacArthur or Keller or Piper, and we say whatever they say is gold and law, what we've done is we've set up a human being as a father. In unquestioning, we are following them. Friends, whether it's Piper or MacArthur or Keller or Luther or Calvin, everything, or Robinson or Hess or whoever, whatever they say, whatever we say, must be run against the grid of Scripture because Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus calls all of us back to that. The ground at the foot of the cross is level, and we are all fellow followers of him. But the second thing that we see mentioned here about an authentic is that authentics are humble helpers. And we see this in verses 11 and 12. As we see, those who humble themselves will be exalted as we see that the greatest will be the servant. Jesus wasn't just speaking here in rhetoric. He wasn't just writing a Hallmark card for somebody who's having a hard day. Jesus was talking about the very life that he lived. The one who was exalted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that one humbled himself and came to this earth and served us while he was here, and served us all the way to when he offered his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and now he is exalted and lifted high. Jesus modeled this for us, friends. And so what it means is for us to be authentic, we shouldn't spend our time thinking, how can I gain your approval, but instead spend our time thinking, how do I serve you? And that's not just something from the stage to the room, that's something from the room to the room. How do we serve each other? in serving one another and in, in laying down our lives for one another and pointing one another to Christ, we are engaged in living out an authentic expression of faith. If our religion is designed so that others will applaud, we've got the wrong religion, friends, because Jesus came and said that an authentic expression of faith is found in him and in service. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship today. We thank you that you have, have given us this great direction in your word. Um, Father, where, where, where Jesus unveils the inauthentic expression of religion that is found in self-glorified behavior designed to make us look good. Father, you have provided a way not just to put us in a costume, but to transform our soul. You've done that in Christ and in Christ alone. We pray that you would guide us now as we continue our time of worship, as we find our, our rest and our peace in him.
as we celebrate and remember that through the taking of the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would be honored in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray.